Well, the one thing when Kyle Shanahan, like two days before the draft, said, We have one of five people we know what we're going to take. And I'm like, That's bullshit. You trade up to number three, you know exactly mm-hmm. who you're taking. Tuesday, everybody. I'm back from vacation. There were different moments in the vacation where I considered other lines of work. I'm not even going to lie about that. I was at the beach and I was at a wedding. It was the first time, as I mentioned a few pods ago, that Cowboy Reed and John have had a break since <laughs> since October of 2019. But that means your boy hasn't had a break either, okay? So big shout out to those guys. Cowboy Reed had a, a nice little vacation. Cowboy Reed, you all right? You good? You, you energized? Yeah, we're a little staycation. <laughs> uh, it was nice weather here, so we spent some time on the river. But yeah, feeling good. Feeling good, Lois. I uh, it's good. I mean, my man needs a break. He's a machine, but he needs a break. And your boy needed a break. Like it's just my brain's functioning at such a higher level right now. I could do the wonder look over and just destroy it making mr 49 it's not perfect i could go 50 the way i'm feeling i feel like bradley cooper after he took that the pill and i refuse to see that movie it looks so shitty to me uh limitless is the name of the movie it looks terrible and i really like bradley cooper i love bradley cooper there's nothing about that movie that screams like bad performance it just screams like movie i'm not really interested in watching silver linings playbook incredible incredible movie the vacation's over i'm feeling better essentially what i did i would like to coin the phrase uh suburban dad ayahuasca that's what i did for anybody who's familiar with the the drug ayahuasca which i am only loosely familiar with by familiar i mean i have a few friends that like went and did it and told me how cool it was and how things have changed forever there's a small chance you lose your fucking mind but don't worry about that. It's a small chance. You'll probably change for the better forever. Suburban Dad Ayahuasca is just binge drinking for a week straight for the first time in like a decade. <laughs> I, I, I put on a Cal Ripken-like performance out there. I mean, it was unbelievable. I didn't think I had it in me, and I basically went for a week straight, you know? And um, the only way you survive is to exercise in the morning at the beach. Every, every suburban dad knows this, every dude knows this. You just go work out in the morning and do some abs and sweat to try to negate all the beer and liquor you drank the night before, thinking you're gonna look any differently at the pool. <laughs> and you don't, you still look fat, you look bloated, your boobs look bad, you're a suburban dad. And you're in the middle of uh, a suburban dad ayahuasca week, and that's what I was in the middle of. Although I gotta say, I feel pretty good. Abs were popping out. I've been eating right lately. 
trying to stay up with Macon. After that combine, I was humbled. And by the way, me and Macon are getting on a little diet exercise plan here soon. He wants to bulk. He wants to gain. So he'll be back in the chair Thursday. But it's just me today. And we've got Mike Golick for you in a bit. But I want to tell you why I was gone. First off, I was at the beach. Uh, I can't tell you where. Because when you're at a beach like I was at a beach, like you, you poke your head out and a few doors down is Justin Bieber. Okay, we went to the right beach. Justin Bieber was out there at that beach. And anytime I'm somewhere with Justin Bieber, I feel like I was at the right place. But I can't tell you where it was. Now, if you Google Justin Bieber, you probably know where he was this week. Not so for me. But I'm not going to be the one to dox my man's vacation spot. I had a great time. And let me say this about Justin Bieber, okay? I couldn't name you a single one of his songs. I don't know anything about the guy other than the fact that he's tremendously talented and now he's yatted um, and he's from Canada and he was like crushing it at 15, 16 years old. Looks to be an incredibly well-adjusted cat. I'm a really good reader of people from like a long way away. (laughs) And he seems like a good guy. Actually, I worked out right next to him at the gym. Worked out right next to him at the gym. Only thing I said to Justin Bieber was I asked him if I was in his way because I was doing a little thing outside, you know? I was doing a suburban dad workout and he was doing like a young pop star workout. And I just was like, hey bro, am I in your lane? He was like, go crazy, bro. And I was like, man, me and Justin Bieber are tight. So Justin Bieber was there, but more importantly, the second leg of my vacation, I got to watch a little holy matrimony. And you guys know what that is, it's marriage. Many of you have probably gotten married or thought about getting married. It's one of the greatest things in the world. Being married, having a family. I'm certainly a very independent person, but I don't know where I'd be without my wife, my lovely wife, Meg, and my kids. And I got to see a wedding this weekend. A small wedding, COVID dictated that, but my big little brother, Kyle Long, is now Mr. Kyle Long. And I wanna congratulate Mr. Kyle Long and Mrs. Kate Long. Jersey girl, our family seems to really gravitate to the Jersey girls. Uh, My dad married a Red Bank girl, Kate's from up up north, and uh, my lovely wife Meg is from outside of Philly on the Jersey side, so something about the Garden State, huh? Huh? And it was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful ceremony. I'm very proud of my brother. I'm very proud of of his new wife, Kate. for taking on the challenge, the lifelong challenge of marrying my, my wonderful, enormous brother. They are an awesome couple, and that was a really, really cool event. And you know, kudos to uh, Kate's family hitting the curveball. Like They basically had to plan two weddings, because you plan one, COVID hits, supposed to get married, bigger wedding here in Virginia, had to tighten it up, move it out west so it could be outside, guaranteed, no rain. Uh, we were in Scottsdale, it was gorgeous. That desert air does something to you does something to you. They did a great job, but it's hot as fuck out in Arizona. And I remember getting ready for the the wedding and you know, like the, the most hectic part of getting ready for a wedding is obviously dudes putting on their suits. Like girls take the whole day and that sort of thing. And like, you know, they go and they have their whole like area. And if you walk in, you're not supposed to walk in, right? Cause you're not supposed to see the bride and, and, and you know, like bride, well, first off you shouldn't walk in cause they're getting dressed. But I'm saying, like, even if the door opens, you see the bride in her dress, like, it's, it's a bad thing. You're supposed to wait till the wedding. There's not as much, like, uh, I don't know, is that a rule read? You don't know weddings as well as I do, do you? 
No, I, I zero no weddings compared to you. I think How many weddings have you been this. to, Reed? I feel like you've told me this before. Uh, like three, if you include when I was like two. That's incredible. You, you yeah. were a ring bearer, huh? No, I wish. I was sitting in like sunglasses and a suit jacket with my brother on the side. So we were pretty young. But you be- I, I've done like one adult wedding. You've, it, you've been to one adult wedding. Yeah, and it wasn't. It wasn't the um, most upscale thing. I think I'm going on like 30 adult weddings. <laughs> <laughs> and just when you think they're over, uh, they come in waves. But this is one I was excited to be at. And as I said, when you are getting ready as dudes, it's like the girls are there five hours early. The dudes are like stumbling in and everybody's just trying to encourage each other to be on time. Like what time are the pictures? I was one of probably every dude that was there that was texting Kyle for the schedule in the morning. Like that's what dudes do, including we're late to get dressed and it's hot in Arizona and you're sweating and you're hungover because dudes, guests at weddings blow their load the night before weddings. And by that, I mean they get really hammered the night before weddings and then the wedding, they're like sweating and they're hungover, right? Your best performance is the, it depends on how you look at it. I look at binge drinking this way. Your first day, you really, really struggle. You're maybe getting off a plane, maybe you didn't have a lot of sleep, your body's not ready. Your second day, your body's craving the alcohol. You know, you probably got a good nine hours of drunk sleep, which science says is not real good. You get, you don't get much REM sleep, but it adds up, right? You feel refreshed after you wake up at 10 in the morning hammered, especially if you don't have the kids in the morning, which we didn't, which was awesome. But nonetheless, you're going to be sweating and around 6 p.m. You're going to need some water and you're going to need to hurry up and get your ass there on time. And Kyle was sweating his ass off and he was getting dressed in, uh, in the closet. And, um, my dad actually is so concerned and this just, illustrates what a loving caring dad my dad is he's not only like giving us all his extra suit socks his ties uh not the ties because we actually had to wear the the ties yeah i had to borrow tuck shoes that whole thing he's worried about kyle overheating so he made kyle get dressed under an air conditioning vent (laughs) so we're back there getting ready we're about to go down there and take pictures. Kyle's standing under an air conditioning vent. It's hot as fuck in Scottsdale. But by the time the sun peaks over the little mountains there, it is gorgeous. That desert air is amazing, and the temperature drops like 20 degrees, and it's like a painting. When I tell you, whenever Kyle shows you pictures of this wedding, he looked like a cologne model, like a plus-size cologne model standing there with those cacti in the background. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful wedding. He was only outshined by his lovely wife. So congratulations to Kate and Kyle. They were awesome. And I want to bet, naturally, I was side betting like things like, I think this is a really fun thing you can do at weddings, Reed. When you start going to weddings, depends on the wedding you go to. You got you to read the room. Side bet like which bridesmaid is going to stumble. You can put side bets on that. You can put side bets on, is the groom going to cry? Well, I, I laid 50 bucks on Kyle at two to one odds in my favor that he was not going to cry. Everybody thought he was going to break down crying because there is a sensitive side to that big, tough, burly guy. And all of us, it comes out in all of us up there. And these side bets obviously were between you and your parents, right? Side bets were between me and another <laughs> groomsman. Um, actually, the side bet was between me and the officiant. <laughs> who actually had to go to take a course uh, on how to be a like a clergyman. I, I guess, you know, like some weddings, um, you know, you get the, my buddy Tom Paquette 
married us, me and my lovely wife way back in the day here. Um, and so we call him Father Tom. Well, he's not of the church. Neither is Frank Burkowski, uh, who's a former NBA player. And if you Google him, you know who he is. Who's like a long time buddy. Well, he had to take, you know, he had to go through some course to get his little clergy card. <laughs> six foot eight guy. I mean, he used to be six eleven. So you had six foot eight priest for the weekend gambling with me in the tunnel <laughs> before we went out. And he thought Kyle was going to lose at Waterworks. Kyle kept it together. Kyle, first thing I see Kyle after the vows. I give him a big hug. I tell him how proud I am. Congratulations. And he's like, I won you some money, huh? <laughs> so I appreciate that. Awesome wedding. No bridesmaids stumbled. And it was small. It was safe. It was outside. And uh, everybody did a, did a great job pulling it off. I remember my wedding uh, here in Virginia many moons ago. Um, and it was, as Virginia is in late June, it was like a wet blanket outside. And I wasn't crying. I was crying through my pores. And I was crying Jack Daniels through my pores. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. I mean, that one was a night to, that you never forget. But you have to remember that uh, your wedding is a blur. And I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Kyle and, and Kate are on to the next thing. And uh, the next thing is the rest of their lives. So I'm, I'm wishing them the best. Uh, while I was gone, I know a lot of sports happen. Uh, Reed, we just had you just read me a really important. Yeah, the Panthers have requested permission to interview the Eagles' assistant director of player personnel, Ian Cunningham. He'll be interviewing for the assistant GM job in Carolina. That's a big deal, dude. Ian Yates Cunningham. If you're a Philly fan, you know I just wanted to shout out Ian real quick. Ian and I played college ball together, and I think he's the next great GM in the NFL. I really do. The guy's so sharp. I mean, he sacrificed a lot, like working in Philly, his family would be in Texas and that sort of thing. Those guys worked so hard, long hours. I can remember asking Ian before, like, you know, how do you do it? Like, what's, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? I mean, those guys just put their head down and they work their asses off. So love the fact that Ian's getting an interview for something like that. And I think he's the next great GM in the NFL. You heard it here first. Um, also, Mike Vick ran a 4-7 while we were gone which I was very encouraged by. Somebody tweeted me as if to say like, damn, Chris, you're gonna let this 40 year old beat you? Okay, first off, I'm 36. First off, I ran 4.7 at the combine at 23 in peak physical condition 13 years ago, okay? Michael Vick is one of the greatest athletes to ever walk the earth. I'm feeling pretty good about my 5.1 at 36. I might feel better at my 5.1 at 36 and Michael Vick probably feels about his 4.7 at 40. I'm actually feeling pretty good about that. I might have to dust off the cleats, get under five. Reed, by the end of summer, I think I might run a sub five. Yeah, um, track workouts. Let's do it. Also, pitcher, don't know his name, didn't look that deeply into the headline, broke his pinky playing video games. An MLB pitcher broke his pinky playing video games and he is out for a while. Three days after Bryce Harper took like this is one thing I saw when I was on vacation. Bryce Harper got hit by a 100-mile-per-hour fastball, and some of you are going to be like, especially you hockey fans, you, sens was, you sensitive motherfuckers, you're going to tell me, oh, it was 85 miles an hour. That makes a big difference. He got hit right in the, in the face. So baseball, really tough one day, not so tough the next day. Hockey Jesus. and baseball going head-to-head. -head. Yeah, so Jesus Lazardo was the pitcher who broke his pinky. He... Broke the pinky, then played the game. 
Oh, so he played hurt. Yeah. So now he can't play baseball anymore, but he can play. He could keep playing Halo mm -hmm. or whatever it was. I wonder what game. What game makes you throw your controller? I know a lot of people say 2K, but if you remember playing Fight Night, circa 2000. Well, you you motherfuckers behind the desk wouldn't remember <laughs> at, at JMU. You guys were I, the year I'm about. I'm about to say 2006. Where were y'all in 2006? Little League. Yep, Little League. They were in Little League. Yep, down the road. Well, I was down the street um behind uh west main down the hill at the fred and me and 20 dudes were were, were pre-gaming every night playing fight night um on xbox the original xbox and when i tell you dudes actually fought over that game like dudes would fight over a boxing game like it was incredible how many controllers got broken couches got flipped the most frustrating thing is to get beat up on a video game in a room full of guys naturally that's got to end with some sort of physical conflict for this baseball pitcher, it's it's culturally different for baseball players. Self-destructive, right? I wonder what he was playing. Maybe he was playing the show. According to A's manager, Bob Melvin, he was playing the video game before the game and accidentally bumped his hand on the desk as he was <sighs> playing the game. Oh, he was just mashing the buttons. He wasn't even mad. He was just in-game. Listen, it's better that it happened on the field, so to speak, uh, than on the sideline. If that happened like... Because he was pissed off because, I don't know, he got knocked out by Jake LaMotta in fight night. That's that's a bad deal. Um, Jake LaMotta had the most tremendous pe punching power of all time in the video game. Also, see the movie Raging Bull or don't. Incredibly depressing. So baseball, hockey going head-to-head -head right now as far as who's the toughest. I don't know. We got the whole summer to figure it out. NFL draft, we are going to talk about it today with Mike Golick. Love having Mike on. I think, you know, I say this before he, he came on the last time last summer. I mean, his career, and last summer when he came on was about the time that he was moving on from ESPN, I believe. He's just had a blueprint of a career and a guy that can always give you a measured take that players respect because he's not over the top. So love having Mike on. He read a pick for the Eagles this weekend and did a pretty good job. I'll ask him about that. I'll ask him about, you know, quarterbacks. We'll talk about protecting quarterbacks. We'll talk about, you know, what he sees next year in the draft because never too early. Anyways, me and Mike Golick are going to chat about football for quite a while. At the end of that, you are dismissed. Class dismissed. I will say this. Happy May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Cowboy Reed, do you like Star Wars? It's all right. Certainly wasn't lining up and... uh didn't well, dive you into were it also, super hard. You were very, yeah, you weren't lining up at the theaters because you weren't even born yet. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Even for the uh, next three. Those the, are, well, nobody was. I, right. Let me say that. People that go to Comic-Con like the next three. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yep. I don't mean that disparagingly, but like I one time walked into a hotel at the ESPYs. You were there. Mm-hmm. And, and I yeah. checked in at 11 <laughs> o'clock at night and there's like Jabba the Hutt's right there and like Princess <laughs> Leia and like there's like a Dragon Ball Z character, and yep. I'm like, these motherfuckers are living their best life. Mm -hmm. They're Comic-Con people. Yeah. Those are the people that went to see like all the, because the, you lose me if you go out of order and you go backwards. Right. You know, I don't know that much about Star Wars, but I really do like Star Wars, and I wrote down my three most memorable Star Wars scenes here. I'm not saying they're the best. They're the ones I can't get out of my head. I bet I could put, I, I, I know guess. one of them. See if you I can know guess. One of them. Go ahead, give me one. Um, it's the cantina scene. Cantina scenes totally in your top three. Are you talking about the 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 bar? Yeah. Yeah, dude. That that one's up there. I should yeah. probably put that one in there. 
you know that might job of the hut was on my list like that whole thing uh-huh but i might i might slide that Which, off the like, list the first time you see job of the hut you want to sit with him yeah but then you realize that he'd probably have you killed and the right. thing the thing in the pit doesn't care at all right um, not many people are making out of that number one scene that i can't get out of my head the trash scene the garbage yeah, disposal scene one. like when you think about claustrophobia yeah. i think about that scene and chewy with all the garbage around him the scrap metal and it's just the the, the garbage juice is just rising and rising and uh, that little snake thing that was swimming around oh. And like, oh what what's that and han solo's there and i love han solo he might have been my favorite character in the whole thing my i think han yeah yeah he, he's everybody's favorite character is he he ought to be there's a bunch of chalky luke skywalker fans running around out there um, but yeah, probably that, that's my number one. I'll go number two. You're right. This, the bar, I can't get it out of my head. Number three, climbing inside the dead alien animal, the, the, the caribou the, type thing, yep. mm -hmm. which the Revenant obviously liked that scene as well. Yeah. Yep. They basically mirrored it. I don't know which one, which one came first, the, uh, Hugh Glass climbing in a bear or whatever year <laughs> Star Wars. You're right. In you actual, you're in actuality in real life. Star Wars copied right. the Revenant because they yeah. were trading fur in the 1800s. The, exactly. The, the, the Star Wars is set in the future. Another one, I, I love the scene with the guys up on the hill, the Sandmen, when they're chasing him mm -hmm. around in his little desert like floating convertible. I love Star Wars. Some of y'all are listening like you're butchering all the details of the movie, but happy May 4th. I'm more of a Spaceballs fan. I don't know if they Spaceballs, have a, huh? uh, a May date or whatever, but no. yeah, Spaceballs. We should watch baseballs. I think you would like if you you've seen it. No, I've seen it, but I was like oh, a kid. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't tell you shit about it. And I, it's a cult classic, so I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Mortal Kombat came out this week, by the way. And yeah. it seems to be everybody's duty to tell us that it sucks on Twitter. Like, what did you expect? The first one is one of the most hilariously bad movies of all time. But here's my thing on the new Mortal Kombat: it is really hard to make a bad movie that's redeemable. Like there's redeeming watchable qualities in 2021. Movies are supposed to be good in 2021. When Mortal Kombat, the original was made in the 90s, like we all ate it up because movies were bad in the 90s, okay, action movies. And then circle back to 2019 when I watched it again for the first time, one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. 2021, the year of only good movies. Yeah, exactly. Only be good. Dumb and Dumber and the original Mortal Kombat, two of the funniest movies I've ever seen. I mean, it's classic. Go dust off the old one. Don't bother with the second one. I'm not even going to do it. Let's have Mike Golick Jr.'s dad on. Mike Golick Sr. All right, so as promised on Twitter, and this is always popular in the Philly contingency, especially after this weekend because he nailed it at the podium. Mike Golick, <laughs> former Eagle. You know him from TV, from radio. Mike, how we doing? I'm doing well, doing well. Just had a great time in my hometown. Thanks for playing. <laughs> Dude, it was really cool to see you up there. The Eagles have made their draft picks, and your Mike Golick uh, made the very first very first one or second one, Mike? So, second round. Okay, so how did you feel up there? How was that whole experience? Well, it was cool because they, they served um, beer in the green room, Ooh. so that was cool. No, I, let me tell you, the, the neat thing about it, Chris was I'm sitting back there and they, they obviously still with COVID, they have kind of 
rooms spread out, but in the rooms, you know, a number of people can sit in there. I found myself trading stories with Franco Harris, John Randall, Anthony Munoz, mm. and me. So one of these things just doesn't belong. They all had their they all had their, their gold jackets on. <laughs> hey, you felt like me when I was up on stage at Man of the Year with all those guys. The exact same guys you were talking about. And I'm looking around, I'm like, what am I doing here? Yes, I, I was. But I mean, listen, they and they were all at one point over the last two decades have been on my, my radio show. Munoz has been on a ton of times. But still, just to talk with them and swap stories. Randall looks like he could still play. He does. His legs are monstrous. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it was, that was really cool. So there was that moment of, you know, wh why am I here? You know, you don't think of me as football legend, but I know the media career had something to do with it. It was cool, you know, and it was my hometown. So walking out on that stage, you know, with all the, all the Cleveland fans there, it was pretty cool. There was beer before and after. Oh, there your was beer before, and, yeah. and and as I was telling you before, my niece got married that next day, so I actually went from the draft, calling, uh, making the pick, to the rehearsal dinner after party. That's amazing. So there was beer in the green room, and then I had beer later that night at the at the after rehearsal party. So it it was nice. It was always nice to sip a cocktail there, but it was very cool to go out there and uh, and make the pick. And I was so happy when I got back there. Little inside here. When you see the pick is in and you think it's just made, the pick's in a lot sooner than that. Like mm -hmm. I had the card and knew who the Eagles picked two picks before they were up. Oh, really? So, I mean, yeah, they, they come in a little sooner than people think. It's not like cause when you hear the bell, did it in, did it in, ding, and then the pick is in, they have been in because I was back and there was one person up there making the pick two before Philly. And there was still one other person that had to go make the pick before Philly. And I had the card in my hand of Landon Dickerson, you know, and, and I was so happy that it was a name I could pronounce. <laughs> exactly. And a guy that we know, I mean, he, yeah, he's a stud. I mean, durability issues aside, I want to ask you how nervous you were because like, not only are you back there with, although John Randall is the nicest guy. I got a chance to meet him yes. once or twice, but yes. like, you just can't get the picture of him with eye black all over his face, burnout of your brain. And you think he might just like drive you through the elevator door i shared an elevator with him at the the super bowl <laughs> but the other two guys are sweet as can be like that had to ease the tension maybe a little bit for you or were you just nervous as hell no, to give the I, pick? no I, I you know listen i, I i've kind of had a microphone a lot in my life now this was kind of a different experience so my main concern was don't screw up his name now what did i do before i made the pick i i i, I had just done a video for the eagles backstage talking about how great the move to go up to get Devontae Smith was. And then I go out on stage and I say to the crowd and on TV, great move by the Eagles going up and getting, and I said, Devontae Davis. No. For some reason, I said <laughs> Davis. I didn't even realize I said it until afterward. Obviously, I got pummeled for it. But then uh, but then uh, picked Landon Dickerson. But I, I, wasn't, I wasn't too nervous uh, about it. I was just happy I got a good name. But I'm not going to lie. They had to come find me because – Franco Harris was really the one kind of telling the most stories back there. Mm -hmm. You know, we talked about their, their four Super Bowls, the two back-to-backs and 74, 75, what was it? 78, 79. He actually said 76, he thought was their best team. Wow. The year they didn't win it. So you're hearing stories from Franco Harris, you know, about that. It was, that was really, really cool. Well, you're in the vault with one of the all-time greats yes. with, 
not only one of the all-time greats, but when you played in the 70s for the Steelers, the, the stories are more colorful than they are, you know, if you were part of a dynasty yes. in the 2000s, which, uh, I don't know, very cool, man. It was cool to see up there. And let's talk about the pick, Devontae Smith, uh, Devontae Davis to some. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, by the way, that was why, and I, I was at a wedding too this weekend we were talking about, uh, who's Sydney, your daughter was right. at. And, yes. and, yes. Uh, uh -huh. and it caught up with her. She's, she's awesome, as is your whole family. But like, um, I saw Mike Jr. had quote tweeted and was like, y'all take it easy on my dad. And I was like, oh shit, what did he say? That must have been yeah. it. Okay, I didn't that catch that it. part. Because yeah, yeah. everything I yeah. saw, you aced it. But you you aced giving that pick out. How about the Eagles grade for the first round pick? You like it? Oh, I like it. I know they went up a couple spots for it. And you always, you always work out. And I learned it years ago from Jimmy Johnson when he worked the draft for ESPN one year. His point total of trades within the first round and how you, you go a point total and if you gave up enough or didn't get enough. And I, I think it was an excellent move to get Smith. I mean, listen, if you if if Hertz is going to be the guy, give him some weapons. Yeah. Give him give him a chance out there. And everybody talked about Smith and the fact he weighed 166. Man, I don't care about that. Listen, you're 166, you're 200 pounds. If you get splashed the right way, you're going to get hurt. It, it don't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, th those few pounds. So um, I, I do like the pick. I like what, what, what he's going to bring. I think he's going to help hurts a lot. I like Dickerson, the second pick. I mean, uh, and I announced it. A lot of people were jumping on me as well saying, dude's a center, not a guard. I said, no, no, he's gonna he be does a it all. Yeah. But you know, you got a center Jason mm -hmm. Kelsey for as long as he's going to be around. You know, I know he's been nicked. So well, he was actually the healthiest one last year. Um, but you know, he'll play guard. He'll play eventually play center. But anytime you mention guard or center, those guys can play them both anyway. But I like those first two picks. So think about it. All teammates, again, between Hertz and Landon and uh, Devontae, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty wild. They could mostly – guard and center is mostly interchangeable. But I don't think Patrick Mahomes wants to put his hand between my brother's legs this year. He's just not a no. center build. No, <laughs> I know. If your brother's not guard, he'll be out of right tackle. He'll be out of tackle, he, exactly. Center, and, boy, yeah. did they yeah. load up. Speaking of, I mean, offensive line, those guys are stacked. They're going to have five good players on the field no matter what. But as far as that pick is concerned, my question is this, because I'm excited about – the Eagles getting their guy, you know, you know, they were able to trade back and get him. I think they traded right. back initially, probably, and I haven't heard the quotes or anything like that, but I would thought they're going back for a corner. Well, both those guys are gone. Um, they go back and they get Devontae Smith, whether they said that's why they went back or not. It's one of those things, if you trade back and you get a, a receiver, he's got to be a stud, and Waddle definitely can't be better than him by a wide margin because they went through this last year. Now, I'm not saying Rager is not going to be a stud, one year right. in that situation, I don't care who it is. So they can they could right. line up. Rager could be the guy. Devontae Smith could be a really good two. I don't know. But what what can't happen is you can't tank this pick and then Waddle thrive because you could have had him at six. No, that, that, that's exactly right. Because you see what what Philly did in going back in, in the draft and then uh, before the draft and then moving up. But you're right. It's kind of like when Trubisky went two and then Deshaun Watson went and then Patrick Mahomes went. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, you took that guy at two and we see what happens. He's not even with the bears anymore as a Buffalo. And you say, okay, you had the chance and you, and you screwed that up. So you're right. That's GMs, you know, business decision makers have to look at that all the time of where we, where we went to get who we got and who we could have had. And yeah, you know, you hate, you sit there and hate to look, wish bad on somebody, but if you're in Howie's position, it's not that maybe you're wishing bad on one, you're wishing great on the other and say, Hey, we made the right move here.
if you're Howie, you're you're rooting against very respectfully, just yes. from a performance standpoint, three guys this year. Percent. They're rooting against Justin Jefferson, okay? Looks like he's going to be a Hall of Famer at wideout. They're yeah. rooting against, uh, obviously, now Jalen Waddell, and they're rooting against Carson yeah. Wentz. They want Carson Wentz to, yes. to not play so well in Indy because it directly affects their draft capital next sure year. Sure does. The All thing right. that stood out to me, and teams, I don't, I don't know, like I feel like they, they get their hand burned on the stove and they don't go back to a certain position. So kudos to Howie for being bold enough to take one on the chin last year with Jalen Rager and say, you know what, I'm going to burn the ships and we're going to try to get this position right because behind Jalen Rager, who again, I don't think is a bust or anything like that, you got to give t guys time now. Um, but you're talking about like Mac Hollins in the fourth. You trade Dennis Kelly, who played in Tennessee for a long time, was very serviceable for Doriel Greenbeckham, I'm sorry. And then J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who... People in Philly know well. They don't know him well right. outside Philly, and there's no disrespect no. to the kid because this is a tough deal. He probably did, he he was probably surprised he was drafted that high. Yeah. So he they've been missing on some wideouts. So it just really it's interesting to me that you know when a team has the balls to go back to the same position and try to get it right. I I agree, and plus you have to understand what you did. You got rid of your quarterback, and now you're putting your eggs in the young quarterback's basket. So you're the smart thing is to okay. Let's get him some receivers. And, and we know from a GM's perspective or whoever's going to make that pick's perspective, first round pick, you always got to hit on, you, yep. you know, and, and, and you got to hit on it's somebody better. Just so we talked about than a waddler position where you could have had him. The next thing is, did you find those gems from round three to seven? Yes. Again, I keep going back to Jimmy Johnson. He was phenomenal at that. I mean, hall of fame, offensive lineman, you know, in rounds four, five, six, and seven, the way he played. So, your first round's got to hit, and you've got to be able to strike some gold in those other rounds with, again, names that aren't going to be household right. names, but all of a sudden when they get their chance, you go, oh, wow, and you got him in the fourth round? Man, great move because that's, as you know, the whole idea of the draft after that first round is to get somebody who maybe has the value of a second rounder in the third round or yeah. get someone with the value of a third round in the fourth round and then get a guy who's going to hit. That's obviously the magic. Take me back to the 80s. You were, and they had <laughs> 10 rounds. Were there more than 10? There were 12. Chris. Okay, there, were there were 12. There were 12. Okay. So you were a 10th rounder. You come in. Yes. You're almost booking, bookending that draft, and you're one of these diamond in the rough players that you know played a hell of a long time or a key part of key units, and they found you in the 10th round. And then the other side of it, You've got Ray Childress. He's the he's right. your first round pick that year, and he was a dominant player, right? So, yep. yeah. What's it like you dropping into Houston in the mid '80s, and you know that experience, but also the difference between the pressure of a first pick and the tenth pick, who has no pressure but not much going for him other than his cleats. Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, first and foremost, it's a difference at the draft of somebody getting called second in the draft and somebody getting called. On the back then, there was only two days of the draft. I got called at midnight on the second day yeah. as pick 255. My brother Bob, who was in the NFL at that point, had come to Notre Dame to hang out, brought cases of beer. We were, we got drunk, sobered <laughs> up, and drunk again when I got the call. That That's how long it was. You were hungover. Yeah, that's the difference of Ray Childers getting called in the first 20 minutes of the draft yeah. and me getting called at midnight on the second day of the draft. But then you're right, you know pressure's off but also the likelihood of 10th rounders making the team wasn't good yeah so you know it was just you you just got to go do your thing where 
Ray comes in and, and, and Ray held out. This is back for obviously way before the rookie wage scale. Ray held out. He came in a little before the season. And, you know, this is back when they did the whole shaving of the heads to the rookies and stuff. And to his credit, he sat right in the middle of the field and they shaved his head. He, he uh, you know, played along with it well. And this is a dude that went 100 miles an hour in shorts and a T-shirt. He didn't care. He was and he was a heck of a player. But for me, man, I, I had to go balls out all the time, every rep I can. If there if someone hesitated to run in for a rep, I had to sprint in there. I had to get as much time on tape as I could to try and do things right to make the team. So it, uh, it, it, it definitely is a, a different perspective. We even took another lineman, Richard Bird from Mississippi in the third or fourth round. So, you know, he's going to get a lot of looks as well. And he played for a number of years and did well. So I was, I was like, you know, Hey, you know, hopefully we get something out of this guy. And, uh, and, and luckily it worked out, but it is a different mentality when you're coming in from pick two to pick two fifty five. How did you, you, you stay in touch with anybody in that class? I, you know what? In all honesty, I have not. I stay in touch more with the Eagle guys where yeah. I was the most. Yeah. Um, my quarterback there was Warren Moon. I see Warren at Super Bowls uh, every now and then. Uh, but but that class, no, I, I haven't. You know who was on in that class was um, Steve Tasker yeah. was in that class. Turned out to be, you know, whenever they start giving out Pro Bowl for special teams, which they should, he's a guy that's going to be in it. So uh, He's also an yeah, amazing guy. Cool. I was just on his uh, show up in Buffalo, and he just seems like an incredibly humble, really down-to-earth dude, really dude and super yeah. underrated and one of those kind of guys that was the heartbeat of a team. And it's funny yeah. you mentioned that because, you know, like I was the second pick and then like down to Mr. Relevant because we had Mr. Relevant that year in David Vibora. I think people picture classes as being like the guys come in and the high picks hang out with the high picks and that sort of thing like – there's within the class it's like this bubble where there's no status yes you know what i mean like the dudes that get on the plane to go to st louis or houston or wherever you're drafting get off the plane together and they weigh in the same day we're all the same uh but that's not the reality and outside of that bubble we're almost we ignorance is bliss you know like it's our job just put our heads down and play i stay tight with all those guys in my class not tight but i keep in touch with all of them it's kind of cool i think um i think there's something about being in a class together but yours was a long time ago so i i I think oh thanks for that i think that um (laughs) i i think you make a great point because you know that should be said because I would never want to give the the thought that there was that separation amongst players. Yeah. We all hung out. I mean, Ray was as, as good a dude as there was. So was, you know, Dickie Berg, Richard yeah. Bird. I mean, our arc, we did, we, we all hung out together. Everybody was cool. The separation comes with the coaches yeah. and the management, you yeah. know, that's where the automatic separation is. Well, they'll look at you and say, you're a 10th rounder for a reason. Yeah. He's a number two pick for a reason. Yeah. You know, we, we know where that, that, that scale is, but amongst players, man, Y'all put on your pads, y'all put on your helmet, y'all root for one another. So yeah. uh, the players, it's always a good deal. And the vets are all giving us all shit. So I mean, yeah, um, it's exactly. So right. tell me, yeah. so tell me this: you get drafted in nineteen eighty six, eighty five, eighty five. Okay, so your tenth round, you're waiting. You get hammered mm-hmm. twice. You and Bob, who, by the way, for yep. people listening, Bob Golick played with my dad, and so like he was the first yep. Golick I ever mm-hmm. knew, and so like. Golick used to come over the house and hang out with Pops all the time. He was like my favorite yeah. uncle. <laughs> Nolan Harrison used to come over the house. Nolan Harrison gave me all his, his Nintendo games. Like, I had some good friends. <laughs> so, when he was tired of him, he just gave me 20 Nintendo games. Um, good friends. Thanks, Dad. Bo Jackson was at the house. 
but I, I, I guess I say that to, to say this, you're sitting through two episodes of binge drinking. How are you keeping track of the draft? Like, like my dad gets drafted. He gets a phone call on a landline in Charlestown. He's at his grandmother's house. Like, how do you keep up with what the hell's going on? There's like, there's I mean, Listen, it's college, man. That's when we drink best. We can multitask. I can watch TV and drink at the but same time. But they had time. it on TV back in the day like that, all through 10 rounds? You know what? You're right. They probably didn't. I think it was my agent. You know what? That part I don't remember. Yeah. Maybe there was too many Genesis Cream <laughs> Ales uh, involved in that. But I think it might have been my agent keeping me up on things. Somehow, some, I know this. I didn't miss a call in the sixth round that somebody, no. it's not like they tried to call and I just didn't answer because I was too hammered. Oh, oh you would have gone in the sixth <laughs> round if you picked up the phone. <laughs> you just got like, you, you got, you got like your buddy calling you in the, in the third round. You think it's somebody yeah. else. Uh, <laughs> so, so this year, I mean, we talk about like the expectations of being a rookie and that sort of thing. When you yeah. come into camp, the pressures, there's one rookie that when he walks into camp this year because of the capital, because of the the dynamic, the the capital that it took to get him, because of the position he plays, and the buzz leading up to the draft, like Justin Fields is going to have like yeah. an interesting situation he's walking into, and I do believe that they feel like um, Andy Dalton's going to play for a while this year at least because that buys them time, and I think this whole this whole pick was about not only trying to do the right thing but buying them some fucking time here. Um, what do you expect out of Justin Fields if you and I are vets sitting in the D-line room? What do we want to see from this guy? And what are we what are we thinking when we hear Andy Dalton's going to play part of the year? Justin Fields maybe. Like, what are we thinking? That that's I think one of the big differences of what fans see and expect out of a rookie quarterback and what happens if you're a vet. Now, I was fortunate and never ran into that situation with a Warren Moon in Houston and a and a Randall Cunningham in Philly with a Jim McMahon when he was hurt and then a uh, Dan Marino in Miami, but you know, having certainly a ton of friends who have played in the league, and and I know I would have felt this way. It's as soon as you put that, I don't care what the expectation is. Is anybody expecting, you know, Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence to make a run to the Super Bowl? No. I think Trevor's going to. You know, I hope all these quarterbacks are great, but 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 you know, history says two, maybe three are going to be at most out of the five that went in the first round. We know how that's worked. It's not like the draft where Eli, Phillip, and Ben all went in the first round and are all going to be Hall of Famers. You're mm -hmm. not going to, you, know, you don't get that a lot. Mm -hmm. So the, the thought is, I guarantee you in Chicago, they will want, everybody will believe Andy Dalton will be ready to start the season unless Justin Fields comes in and just blows everybody away. And the vets will want Andy Dalton to play because, man, you don't know how many years you get. That defense, they've had a really good defense for a couple of years. And you know on defense, a couple of years ago, they led the league in, in turnovers. But the first thing I said is, don't expect that the next year. Right. You know, that shit rarely happens two years in a row. Right. So you got to try and make hay while you have that great defense. And let me just say, you're not going to make hay with a great defense with a rookie quarterback. So mm -hmm. you better hope Andy Dalton, who has had really good regular seasons and then struggled mm -hmm. in the playoffs, you better hope he plays well. Yeah. Uh, because all of a sudden, if he's not, and you go to Justin Fields, if you're a, a vet in that locker room, we're like, okay, rebuilding from the quarterback position, the most important position on the field has begun. And we're going to pay the price for it because we're going to have a difficult time winning. And in all honesty, I know that's a move they, they, they should have made, but I think by the time Justin Fields is second year is the full-time starter. I think there's going to be a different GM and a different coach. 
We know how that works, man. I you mean, think, I, you, I think so. You don't yes. think it's going to buy them this year? No, I do not. Oh. I think I think what's going to happen is they've seen some. Listen, Nagy came in and was coach of the year, and then it's obviously been a struggle since then. So, outside of a really good year, like playoffs and and maybe do something, I think they're going. The, the the belief is going to be, you know what. We think we have a good quarterback going in the future, but we think we're going to need different leadership to take him there. That's really that, that, that's it's, just it's really interesting. I, I mean, I guess I'm wondering what the we've overused this term at this podcast, but what's the Mendoza line for them from a record and like how things go standpoint? What's it got to take for them to be there for year two of Justin Fields and execute the plan of easing him into it and actually enjoying the quarterback they drafted? Yeah, it's good. Uh, that that's a great question because Mitch, remember Mitch came in, didn't obviously start right. Oh, well, well, Fox was there before uh, okay. Nagy. Uh, oh, John, yeah, John Nagy Fox, yeah, there, John Fox, and and again, Nagy is the coach of the year, you know. And now he's supposed to bring this quarterback along, yeah, you know. And and it seemed that second year with Mitch and Nagy together that something changed, something just wasn't hitting. Yeah, I think it was the right move. I'm a, I like Justin Fields. I think Dalton will start the year unless Fields just blows him away, but yeah. I think Dalton will. And and I and I really think that it's there's going to be a new coach and GM by the time this thing really gets going the year after. If I'm sitting there, I feel the same way as you. We would be sitting in a locker room, you and I, if we play together, yep. and we'd be saying, I don't feel like dealing with a year in my prime right. or the prime of this defense. And this isn't an indictment on Justin Fields because I don't care no, who it is. No. It could have been maybe no. it's outside of Trevor Lawrence. If you draft Trevor Lawrence at 10, you're probably thinking let this kid play right now, but nothing's a sure thing. And you know that as a defensive lineman or, or a player in the NFL, that it just takes time and, and I don't want to waste my year. You know, and it's not a waste. It's not a waste for Justin Fields. It's not a waste for that no. offense. But if, no, because any time on the field is good unless you're just getting beat to shit like my friend Sam Bradford in St. Louis yep. or something like that he's athletic enough that he can protect himself. Um, he'll take time, but not on my watch. You know, like, hey, if he's ready, if he, if Dalton doesn't, if Dalton looks bad in camp and, and Justin Fields looks good, we'd be the first ones to be like, play him. Play him. But, you, well, yeah. I mean, you play the best person and yep. Fields is the best player. Yep. I want, again, as the vets in the locker room, we want the best chance to win. Yep. You know, and if that's, if that's Dalton, great. If it's Fields, great. If it's Dalton who starts out and things aren't going well and they put fields in, we're all just kind of that, – that's when you kind of start to get that we were all playing for that common goal, and now that goal is kind of going to the wayside. So, yeah. all right, man, I got to have a really good Yeah, what year is here. the goal here, right? You know, like <laughs> yeah, I, I keep exactly. – I got yeah. all these signs on the walls. Yep. What do they mean? Um, okay, so say it's not Justin Fields and it's a quarterback like a Zach Wilson walking into a locker room full of veterans – a team that you're expecting, maybe unrealistically, that you'll compete, um, which we're very good at tricking ourselves into believing that in the NFL if we're not actually very good. Um, Zach Wilson, what do you want to see out of a Zach Wilson? Like from a, a leadership standpoint, I think fans have this unrealistic concept of this guy walks in, he needs to break down the huddle, he needs to do this. Like, what personality are you looking for like the first summer? I think the best thing, and I think this is for any player, and I learned this from my, my dad, but obviously the quarterback position is the, is the position that really needs to know the most. So the best thing I think these young quarterbacks can do is make sure you know everything in the playbook because you're going to, even though you're going to make mistakes, A, don't make, try not to make the same mistake twice. You try and learn from all your mistakes, but how quickly are you grasping the huddle? Because the quicker you grasp that, 
the, the, the sooner you're going to get the confidence of everybody else in that huddle. If, if you're making the right checks at the line. Now, I don't know if they'll have the line doing that more for him at first and he'll where, where he's going to help out in that. But if, if, if nothing else, if he's making the right checks and he's getting into the right plays and he's throwing to the right receiver, even though it may not be complete every now and then, that's a great step in the right direction. See, that's what I said about, about uh, Darnold, Sam Darnold, is I, I, did, I wasn't buying into Sam out of college. And, and let me preface this by saying, whenever an analyst says something maybe negative about somebody, we're not wishing bad on that guy. Right. I hope Sam Darnold goes on and is great somewhere. I really do. I'll, I'll take it. I'll be wrong. I don't care. Yeah. But what I saw out of him in college, I saw in the pros inconsistency, turning the ball over. And I know everybody was screaming, well, he didn't have a team around him. And I get it. That's fine. Even without a team around you, you still can show something where you say, okay, I still think he's got the goods. Hell, Peyton Manning threw, what, 25, 28 interceptions his first year. But you still kind of knew the way he played, he's got something there, right? Mm -hmm. So, And I still didn't see that out of Sam, even when they were losing. So that's what I need to see out of a Zach, because he's on a team that isn't, even though they had a really good draft, they're, they're not going to push for anything this year. So what does he know from the neck up? And then how does he do physically? And then the more confidence he has in the offense, the more confidence everybody else has in him. And then, you know, he's in charge of that huddle and that offense. I think one of the hardest things is you got to be yourself because you're shit out of luck. (laughs) If you don't have it and you got to pretend to have it, it's never going to work out. And I think that's the, and that's not to say you couldn't be something great in life, um, but this is pro football, and it takes a lot of poise to walk in that locker room and everybody be like, I want to see what we got out of that kid. Like, I remember I was getting on the elevator at, in, like, uh, at Radio City and, like, two of the Rams who were, like, because we had some really good old veterans. Like, kind of like I went to shake their hand, like, and they kind of looked at me like, the work starts. And yeah. I already knew it, you know, like in my head, because when I get drafted, I felt like it wasn't an accomplishment. It was the beginning of another challenge. Yeah. But like you get that vibe immediately that like everybody at Radio City is really excited for you, you get on the, the, the elevator with two guys and they're like, all right, let's get to work. And I think yeah. you got to have the right mentality without going overboard to try to be somebody like something you saw in a movie or on TV, like shake, sh- shake your teammates hands, introduce yourself, be firm. But you're right. The way I'm going to judge you is not your personality as much as it is no. your poise and and your aptitude. And and you said it best. Don't try and be more than you are. Yep. Because you know, in a, in a, listen. The one thing I've said for years, and you know this, we spend so much time together mm-hmm. that man. If if you're fake or you're putting on a facade, people are going to know that. I mean, I look at guys again at the quarterback position. A guy like Russell Wilson, third round, wasn't expected to start, but came in showed work ethic, first one in, last one out, Mm -hmm. you know, showed that ability. And so there was confidence in him when as a third rounder, you know, he ended up being the starter there. Let's look a year ahead real quick and then we'll zoom back out. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, who's this team next year? Because the way I looked at it and you think it's pissing in the wind, so to speak, I'm sure there's a better adjective uh, or a metaphor. Nagy, and Pace, you think, are gone in a year. I think maybe it buys them some time, or at least in intention, they're trying to do the right thing and right. buy themselves some time. Who right. is a, a franchise next year that's going to do the same thing? A coach, a GM, a team? Could it, you know, could it be a team like Denver? They're trying with Locke and with Teddy. Yeah. You know, if Teddy gets traded there, 
if they're not working, is that a team? Because a lot of a lot of people thought they might have been a, a team this year to do that. And then when they didn't, everybody thought, are they going to get Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. You know, is it going to be that team? You know, is it going to be, I think Washington could be a pretty good team, yeah. but who's next? You know, they get Fitz, who we all love Fitz Magic. Yeah. Love but it's, the you just, it's year to year. You don't like, you don't know how long he wants to play. You don't, and I really want to see him crush it because this is his best opportunity to like lead a team. Agree. We got through the Absolutely draft. Agree. We got through the draft. Nothing happened. I'm like, you know, I felt the way I used to feel as a player when they were getting ready to draft somebody to replace me or weren't for, for Fitzy. <laughs> You know, like, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I just want to see him get a year where he has the keys to like a real deal team. And they are. If you look at the work they've done, the defense, they built that defense like San Fran did with all the number one picks on that D line. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. A bunch of U's on the D line. Well, I mean, shit, our D line was it, it's unreal. They had Robert Quinn, they had Kenna Langford, another first round, Aaron Donald. Uh, we poured like four first rounders in that set. Yeah. But that's the way you got to do it on defense. And they've done a great yep, job. They I did agree. well offensively too with, with McLaurin yeah. as well. So rooting for Fitzy. I, I'm going to throw one more. Okay, throw me one more. Throw, Probably the same one. I, th I think they, they picked up his option, so it might be a little little tougher. The, the one other I would say is a Carolina where Sam Darnold went. Because they're going to start to say, okay, we got to make a move. But what if he struggles again? What if he struggles? Matt Rule's going to be going into his third year then and going, okay, you know, we tried with one quarterback. We traded. We got another quarterback. If it's not working, you know, do we, are we going to have to make a move for one? Yeah, I, I like Carolina a lot because I think it could work out. And also, they didn't give up enough to, like, really set you back to get him, which I think is nice. Right. I mean, so they're taking a flyer on a kid who – a top five quarterback that God knows yeah. the law of Adam Gates, the law of the Jets, the law of like, and so on. Like you're going to get something, <laughs> you're going to get something more out of him. So I think that's good. Uh, but at the same time, you're right. You could be sitting back here in a year saying like, we don't have our guy and that's fine. And they could be a team to move up. This one's a little unorthodox because it's not in his DNA, but what do people do when they're in desperation? They do the exact opposite of what they know. And that's Dave Gettleman and the Giants, I think. I mean, I don't think Joe Judge's I don't think Joe Judge's um seat is gonna be hot next year, no matter what happens. I, I really like Joe and I think the players really like him and I think they're gonna move in the right direction. But here's a scenario. And I think actually if you're a Giants fan, what you might be more afraid of is like an incremental improvement, eight and eight and a re-up on Danny right. Dimes. Yeah. You know, like still yes. <laughs> So yes. I think actually the Giants could be that team next year when you look at it to play poorly enough. And I say this respectfully because they're going to be a competent, competitive team, but they could play poorly enough that they're in range to trade up next year and be this year's Chicago. I say that because, you know, we say Gettleman never trades uh, up. He only you know, right. he actually never traded back until this draft, right? This was his first right. one. Yep. He he could try to do something out of character next year to try to save his job. And uh, if I look at it, I don't have a lot of impediments in the way. It's hard to forecast the bad teams. You and I both know this. There's going to be one or two teams that are going to crater, and we're going to have no idea right. how it happened. But look at the teams I was looking at, like Houston, for sure. No matter what happens with Deshaun Watson on any level, they're probably shopping for a quarterback. Um, right. You said it. Carolina could be shopping for a quarterback. They could be bad enough that they could just pick a quarterback outright. Detroit could pick a quarterback outright. But those, I can't see a lot of impediments in the top five to seven that the Giants would have to leapfrog that don't already have their guy because two teams that will struggle, we mentioned them, the Jets and the Jags, they got their guy. They got They're going to eat up two right. spots in top five to seven, I think. 
It's exactly right. So I, I think I, I think agree. the Giants they could be in range to to make a splash next year. I mean, it's a long but way I, away. I but it, it, it's a team I I had down too. I, they were a little lower on my list, but I agree. I think and you said it perfectly. The worst thing in the world is that incremental improvement where you're like, okay, are, are we buying this that we're still going to take the next step with this guy and this crew, or do we start to make a move? And and it is so out of Gettleman's nature as yes. well to do that, like you said. So that would be a real interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, it would be, man. I just think it's it's fun to think about next year because, you know, anytime you're picking quarterbacks, we've said this a bunch, if you want to reach and get your guy now, and I had this, this critique of the Eagles, when are you going to be at five again? If you're at five again next year, that quarterback class, and I know things change year to year, and like we don't see it a year out all the time, but it doesn't look as loaded right. as this year. So... There's that as well. The, the the musical chairs game could be pretty. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. Who who are they who are they getting ready to maybe trade up and get? Who's going to be that guy next year? Is it the kid out of North Carolina, Howell? I like it. You I know, like Howell to the Giants, Jack. man. I told my yeah, co-host yeah. Macon is a big Giants fan. I said maybe you'll have Sam Howell next year. Protecting QBs. Okay, I knew uh, you got to have an opinion on this. Being a lineman, uh, you know, Burrow doesn't get Sewell. He gets Chase. You know, Herbert gets Slater. I mean, that's about as differently as a day could go in that respect. And one guy's athletic and one guy's not as he's more stationary and the wrong guy got the protection. How did you feel? Well, I, I said this in doing some interviews up before the draft. Actually, I did it. I said it on, on Mike's show, my son, the former O-lineman, who he played on the wrong side of the ball, but still <laughs> he did. an O-lineman. We were kind of breaking down and, and it was like with Burrow in Cincinnati. If you could take what well, Kyle Pitts was gone already, but the thought was a receiver with the chance was Jamar Chase or Sewell, Panay Sewell, 330 pounder that moves like a 300 pounder dude is it's unbelievable. Well, he's so quick. He, he is the dude when he gets off to the second level, his ability to keep his feet and stay up and continue to use his hands is incredible. And my thought had always been we sometimes we get caught up in the box score. You know, Jamar Chase can give you a, six targets a game, three, four catches a game, end of the year, 70, 80 catches, yeah. 14 yards a catch. You hope for a nice 10 touchdowns, maybe seven, maybe eight. It all looks really good, and it is good. And I, I'm not demeaning one over the other, but you you grab that left tackle who is now, for an entire season, giving you 75 plays a game, giving up just a pressure or two, you know, and is going to be uh, there for the next decade. And you just saw your quarterback last year get wheeled off the field with a with a torn ACL because of lack of protection. Man, to me, on these bad teams, you can't build a wall fast enough for these guys to protect your quarterback. Especially if you know Joe Burrow's the real deal, which we know. It's not like we're doing the yep. same. It's not like we're investing in somebody that we don't know is the real deal. We saw enough in him yet last year to say mm-hmm. – Shit, this guy's good, and yep. he's got it. You know that it thing that we just talked about. Like Joe Burrow just walked, I like I don't even have to. I don't even have to share a locker room with him. It just it's he stinks so much of like just the right amount of confidence and leadership. So yeah, you build around that guy. I guess devil's advocate because we got to play it would be you know maybe they maybe they don't feel the way we feel about Sewell, and maybe they're thinking. First off, I think everybody was like, Joe Burrow's got to be pissed. You don't think they check with the guy? I mean, I know he's not your average rookie. They probably asked him what he right. thought. Secondly, maybe they didn't think Sewell's as good as he as as we did, and maybe they thought Slater was really good, but they were going to have a hard time justifying that 
at five. You know, like there's a di- sometimes you you take well, best available, and then also Joe's out for probably a sizable amount of this year. Like maybe he's right. not. Maybe his development isn't where we think it is physically coming off this thing. And they say we could waste a year of presumably a very good offensive tackle. We could get another one next year. So I, I think to your point, and I've said this a lot of time over the years on my show, is it, do, it does come down to grade. Was Jamar Chase, how high was his grade above Panay Sewell? Right. Right. Because we talk about the quarterbacks. Obviously, you know, everybody was going to that number three pick. You know, was it going to be Trey Lance? Was it going to be Mac Jones? Was it going to be Justin Fields? And everybody gave their opinion. But the only opinion that mattered was the grade of the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. And their grade, obviously, for Trey Lance was higher than the other two. Mm-hmm. So that absolutely comes in. Obviously, it came into play that their grade on Jamar Chase, whether you feel it's the, the need or not, your grade is there. And you know how we always hear best available. You take best available. I I was never a big believer in that. I was like, man, I'm a, if I need something, I'm freaking taking something. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to screw around, if it, especially that high. I think it's you a know, sliding I, scale. Yeah, yeah, it's a sliding exactly. scale. Hey, listen, if the best available is that much better than my need, like if if my need is tackle, but I know I can get somebody in the second or third round, and this guy's not so great or whatever, and I'm not saying this is what applies to this situation, right, right. and you see one guy that you're like, he's a Hall of Famer, you get the Hall of Famer, but to your point, if you need something, you need it bad, yeah, and the yeah. grades aren't much different, you take the need. Exactly, that's the key. If the grades aren't that much different, yeah. uh, I would go with the need. But, uh, you know, Jamar Chase, too, was a, he a was stud. a stud this he's year, stud. too. Wow. And like you said, you can justify that very easily because there's numbers and metrics that are going to tell you. Yeah. Like, And also, another thing is, offensive line, although people think of it as like a sure shot, those guys have it tough for a few reasons. And I said this the other day. Number one, bad teams, what do they get? A lot of deficits. What do you do when you, when, when you get a lot of deficits? You throw the ball yep. a lot. So more chances for this kid to screw up. It's a very mental position. The more you get beat earlier, you can get shell-shocked just like a quarterback. Uh, yep. And then on top of it, people assume guys just develop. Like position coaches are all really good. Well, guess what position needs the most coaching? Offensive line. line. Without and, you know, question. Uh, you talk about Stoutland, Jeff Stoutland up in Philly. I mean, one of the best in the game. You always notice a really, like uh, our guy we had in, um, in, in New England who's a legend, probably the only guy who can hold a candle to Bill Belichick up there. Skarnacki. Yeah. Skarnacki. I got to see those two guys – yeah. And, you know, like when you see an offensive line coach that's really, really good, it just stands out. And that's what those kids need. Like young kids, I've stood there, and you've stood there, in one-on-one pass rush for years. Yes. Watching yes. a guy get beat. Like the most important thing is what did he hear after that? What's he going to hear when he gets back to the locker room? And so I do think there is a risk involved in taking offensive line. But Jacksonville, same thing. They went running back, DB, didn't build around Trevor and – um Another side of this is Villanueva, Schwartz, Fisher, Okun, Leno. They're all out there. So maybe right. guys are saying, hey, Mitchell Schwartz. Take him off the street, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. It's it's. I'm glad I don't have to pick for a living. What about San Francisco? Speaking of like number three, you brought this up. It just reminded me. Why keep it secret in your estimation, the pick with Trey Lance? I mean, I don't understand. Well, the one thing when Kyle Shanahan, like two days before the draft, said we have one of five people we know we're going to take, and I'm like, that's bullshit. You mm-hmm. trade up to number three, you know exactly mm-hmm. who you're taking. Mm-hmm. You know who you're taking because you know who the first two picks are going to be. So I don't get all the disinformation. I don't get 
why there were three and you knew what one and two was going to be, why they, why they hide it. I think it's just instinctual with coaches. It's lion season during the draft because I have no idea why you need to hide that. Yeah. People were making up all types of, um, like theories as to why they hit it. And I didn't like any of the theories. I just thought maybe like coaches like keep shit secret. They don't want to read about their business. I think that's what they do. I think they just want to keep, keep it close guarded and not have any leaks and all that. But I don't know what good it does. Um, And then also like speaking of the information war, we saw the Raiders actually do something crazy. Well, not crazy, but it's just something you're not used to. It's like they were reading their mentions on Alex Leatherwood. And then they had to, they had to clear that up real quick. I I actually coached Leatherwood in the Under Armour All-American game yeah. senior year in high school. And I, I think he's a hell of a player. I thought that was a little high. And then the next thing, next day you hear there's reports somebody high up is going to get fired from the Raiders for the last three number one picks because of you know who they took or where they could have got to all these guys later. And then you're right. Then they got to come out with a statement. They came out on Twitter. Defending their pick. Yeah. And they said, no, I mean, but the amazing. funniest shit about it was they were like, actually, we're thinking about him as a right tackle. I was like, you couldn't oh, wait to God. camp to just show out that, you know, like just the stuff now, like the internet has changed the game forever. Even at that level, it just goes to show you coaches and GMs and people and like organizations. You remember they used to walk in our locker rooms and be like, don't read any press clippings. Right. And right. they run their ass right upstairs. And when they have a press clip and they want to show you to motivate you, they show you that press clipping. Well, that's exactly right. And then, or you get a team, like you said, the Raiders who have to come out and say something about it. Yep. And then, then, but you, but then you get a team like truly like Bill Belichick and the Patriots doesn't give two shits no, about anything that's said publicly. So, he doesn't. you know, there, there's a, there's a huge difference, you know, of teams as well and how they react to things. Yeah. The only saving grace for me when I talk about my old coach, Bill Belichick, who I respect so very much, uh, if I ever say something negative about the Pats, I know he doesn't give a shit about the media and I'm now part about the media. So he's probably go. never going to hear it anyway, yeah. nor will he care. <laughs> so the Aaron Rodgers situation, which, you know, there's so much fun stuff to talk about in the draft. Like it was funny. I got up doing a, a little road pod the other day. Uh, and I said, damn, we hit all that. And I didn't even talk about the Aaron Rodgers thing. Like, that's how action-packed the day was. What do you make of all this at this point? It felt like it came out of nowhere. I mean, and it had to be like everybody that was involved in the draft, especially all the insiders, had to be going, oh, my God, now we got this. Yeah. You know, now, now and this is another one. I mean, who, the, uh, Murphy, the president, came out and, like, went through the statement, like, line by line, another one on Twitter, yeah. you know, going through – all the, all the, the the statements about yeah maybe he was right here yeah maybe he wasn't right here i mean my god i mean it's like so a state this of the one, union it, yeah this one came out of nowhere deshaun watson he made it evident the that he wanted out russell wilson all of a sudden they're talking about trade rumors i was like he never said a word he never said he wanted out right. he just talked like maybe he wanted a little more input but he never was disgruntled he's not getting traded plus to be a 34 million dollar dead hit cap hit if they trade him so he's not going anywhere i'm not gonna lie this one took me by surprise a little bit because listen love who got picked last year was aaron Rodgers, you know umpteen years ago when he got picked you know when brett Favre was still the quarterback picking the air apparent so it surprised me a little bit aaron can be a little different at times yeah um i'm always a little it's always interesting to me when guys get a little sensitive about things you know i don't know where if he wants to go somewhere where he's going to go I know dude still wants to win a Super Bowl. He's got a pretty good shot there, 13 and three the last two years yeah. there, you know, to try and get over that hump. They're going to, if they do trade him, they're going to trade him somewhere that's got a better shot. 
I mean, I, I don't, don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if the, you're right. I mean, it's it, as far as I happen to like the piss and vinegar, uh, Aaron Rodgers, because all of the other quarterbacks are just they. I like one angry one. No, he is angry. <laughs> you know, I love the guys, the great ones that find a chip to a put slight. on their shoulder about something. the Michael Jordan when he did yep. the whole the meme, which I'm sure you've seen because yep. I know you're up on your oh, memes. Yeah. And the, 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 <laughs> I actually like uh, you know the chip on the shoulder thing, and I also don't know where some of this stuff always you know is, is coming from. You know, like yeah, I look at, I look at the the Aaron situation, and I totally hear him. He needs more weapons, but he makes everybody look so good. That's the thing. He like, does. it's your fault. You make everybody look so good that you lull people into a sense. I'm not saying it's your fault. I'm saying, Aaron, you're so good that you make average players look great. And then people are like, oh, we don't need anybody. Like, <laughs> and that's not a defense because we've seen what the Packers have done in the draft, including this year. I get one to shore up the defense. The thing before the end of the half against the Bucks, like really, they lost that oh, game yeah. on defense too, and they lost. And yep. I, and I was really down on their defense pack past few years. I got fooled again going into the playoffs. Um, right. Never again. And they get rid of Mike Pettin, who it's gonna they're they're gonna improve defensively just by improving the scheme. The same way Dan Quinn's gonna improve the defense in Dallas on right, a different scale. Right. But you have to have better players. So I get them drafting defense, but can't you throw them one bone? Just one bone. Just one bone. I agree. It's never been earlier than the second round, you know, yeah. that they've taken receiver. But I guess, you know, the talk was that maybe Denver was going to trade for him. So he goes to Denver. So you got a better shot to get in the Super Bowl in Denver? I don't know. The defense is better probably, right? Because Defense more, is probably defense better. Defense is probably better, and you're probably excited about the, the wideouts, right? Um, I know I'm excited about Jerry Judy, uh, you know, and the tight no, ends. I am too. The tight ends so are over there. You, you probably have less to go through because the top teams now, you probably think Kansas City, yep. Buffalo's right there. Quite honestly, Cleveland has made a good jump there. You don't know what's going to happen with Pittsburgh because of the O-line. Yep. Uh, Baltimore seems to, to jack it up once they get to the playoffs. So I don't know who the other teams are in the AFC. I think I, You know what? I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them in Denver of all the teams. I think you go to Vegas, the defense, you're back where you started. You're actually worse. Right. Um, yep. although curiously they didn't, didn't address it with the first pick. Um, no. you know, uh, but I, I, I do well, think he blew up. His, well, he did blow up his entire offensive line did Gruden in the off season. Yeah. So maybe sure that's did. why they went. He sure did. Yeah. I mean, they didn't have, but I, you know, it's, um, the, the, the one thing that people aren't talking about the, the end of the road here, like the, the logical end of this discussion Let's say he has the balls, and I don't doubt he does, because he, you know, like he seems to do what he wants to do. Yeah, he sits this year. Are you willing to forego a year? And I'm not saying that like there's a rhetorical answer to that question. I don't know. I don't know if he's willing to forego a year of his prime, which is <laughs> damn near at forty. But you just yeah. don't know how long you can do this. You know, so that's so the I one will, thing I, Green Bay has on their I, side. I will say this again: the list of players that have drawn a line in the sand and have actually stayed on their side of the line and sat for a year, Chris, is short, right? Carson Palmer. I mean, it, 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 it's short. Carson Palmer did. We saw Le'Veon Bell. Yeah. He, he sat out, and that didn't really work for him. Um, you know, it, 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 But it's not a long list. No. Because that's the exact same question I would ask. Do you, do you have the balls to do it? Would yeah. you truly not walk across that line? What's it going to make, 30 mil? Yeah. This year, and I know he's got a lot of money, but I don't care how much money you have. Thirty mil is a lot of money. He's so bitter, and I look at this as yeah. a, I'm taking it as a compliment because <laughs> it is you are special, like fucking bitter. If you're if you're thirty million, bitter. wouldn't that be unreal? 
Yeah, would, that, I, that would be unbelievable if you t- turn it now. Not that everything should be about money, because, again, he's got loads of it. But, man, let me his, tell you, his balls, his balls dropping and hitting the ground, yeah, it would yeah. register on the Richter scale. In yes, Virginia, yes. okay. So I mean, like, good for him. More power to him if he does it. So, but it's gonna be tough. So what do you think he does? Play with the Packers, sit for the year. I think he crazy. plays with the Packers. I mean, that's the, the chalky answer. I think um, I'd love to see them take care of him and give him some weapons because he's as fun as anybody. You can tell me yep. Tom's the greatest of all time. I agree with that. He's the goat. But the most fun to watch of all time is Aaron Rodgers. Um, yeah. And so I'd like him on the field. Everybody wins 2021 draft outlook. Um, you know, we just finished the first one. Naturally let's, we're not going to do a mock draft. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. Thank God. Merciful. I feel like some people are going to be pissy at me because we've talked about the draft for two pods post draft. I'm going to be like, Hey asshole, you guys talked about the draft for two months before the draft. Okay. I get two pods. Let's talk about 2022. Two. I said 2021 before. I've lost track of the yeah. years. 2022. 2022. Who's good? Who are we going to see called early? Who should we watch for this fall? All right. I'm going to give you a few names. Now, obviously, the quarterbacks have to be in there. Sam Howell, I think, from North Carolina is going to be up there. A Spencer Rattler, uh, the kid from Oklahoma. What a great name, what by the name? way, Spencer Rattler. <laughs> what uh, JT, JT Daniels, Slovis from SC. Daniels is from Georgia. Here's two guys. I'm going to three guys. I'm going to tell you to look for. Okay, I'm getting off the quarterback because everybody's going to talk about the quarterback. Running back. People are talking about obviously a lot about Isaiah Spiller, the kid from A&M. Brees Hall from Iowa State, six one, about two fifteen, two twenty. He was the Big Twelve Offensive Player of the Year. I did. I did about three or four Iowa State games this year, including the uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl. So I got a lot of looks at him. A incredible runner. Can make you miss. Caught about 25 balls out of the backfield as well. You know, in today's game, you got to be able to do that. Had over 1,500 yards rushing. Loved him. And his teammate, a tight end, Charlie Kohler, 6'6", about 260. And every bit of it uh, was hurt a little bit. Still had like 40 or 50 receptions. I think he is going to be a stud. And on the defensive side of the ball, you want to talk about a freak. The kid from Oregon. Uh, was it Kayvon Thibodeau? Oh, I like him. Uh, let me tell you, like six five, six six two. He's one of these six five, six six two hundred sixty pounders. These edge rushers now, these Miles Garrett six five guys with the long arms that could turn the corner and have that leverage. This dude is a freak. There is a big di- okay. First off, I I don't watch a lot of Oregon. I bet on a couple Oregon games this year, and I'd I'd be up there squinting. My eyes would be squinting. But if if my eyes didn't open up when I saw this kid make a play one of those games, yes. and I texted my buddy Jeff yes. Schwartz, you know Jeff, and I was like, "Who the yes, fuck yes. is this kid?" Okay, yes. like he's got some work he is to do, real, but yeah, he's yeah. going to be a top pick. And and you know what's funny? It just reminds me because like when I was coming out, six four two two seventy sounds a lot like you know Miles Garrett's height and weight that they list. Sounds yep. a lot like the Stephanos kids' height and weight. They're different looking cats. <laughs> Oh my God. They're different looking cats. And so, you know, it's just like you can read height and weight, but you got to see somebody out there walking around. Yeah. Miles Garrett, I mean, he was about to hulk out of his outfit at the draft. The dude is unbelievable. You see him playing basketball lately? I mean, he he set aside. 
But this Thibodeau kid, he started playing football late, so he's still a little raw. Yeah. Um, but I, I look I look forward to to seeing what he's gonna do. All right, yeah, there we go. I like him. And then one other kid, Kyle Hamilton. I gotta bring a Notre Dameer into this. Yeah. He's a 6'4, 225, 20 pound safety. So you know in the league today, these guys can play back, they can play up like a backer, they can play up on the line some. Uh, he's a smooth cat too. So those are those are a few guys who I like. Those that, that Isaiah Simmons pick. It's it just goes to show you like when a guy gets you know it just it continues to snowball and the game's changing. By the way, those guys in Arizona they got some funny body types in the yes, first round they they've do. drafted in the last two years. They got to figure out what they're going to yep. do with Isaiah Simmons. And I really like this Zayvon Collins kid. But there's just yep. two guys his size. Don, there's two guys his size in all levels of football playing at the second level at linebacker. It's Dante Hightower. It's Zayvon Collins. So figure it yep. out. I don't know how you're going to use yep. him, but it's exciting. So game changing. Um, Mike Golick, appreciate you always, dude. Love having you on, and you did great with the pick. I didn't see the first part, but you crushed the pick. <laughs> <laughs> Shit happens. <laughs> That's why you're thanks, the man. Uh, Mike, thank you. Catch you soon. All right, Chris, thanks. I'm